So as I mentioned in the earlier service, uh, Michael has been so gracious in being my guinea pig. And, uh, and then when he first started talking, I was like, ooh, okay. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe this is out of my league. I'm not quite sure. Uh, so, wait, let me just get back to where I belong here. All right, so I'm so glad to see each and every one of you here this morning. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, it is Memorial Day weekend, and we are so thankful for those that have gone before us and have provided the opportunity for us to be in a place like this today. And uh, so I just want to, uh, I'm obviously lost here. Give me just a second. <laughs> I'm counting on that. Okay. Okay, here we go. I should have numbered these pages is what I should have done. Okay, we're good. All right, well, welcome. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, as Pastor mentioned, uh, I've been working on a counseling degree, and uh, so I know that there are some concepts and ideas out there, especially amongst Christianity, that counseling and psychology is you know, kind of this thing of the world. But what I've discovered in my years of studying is that uh, counseling, modern-day counseling and psychology is the biggest ripoff uh, that this world has ever seen. Uh, they have plagiarized the principles and the ideals uh, that were established by God thousands of years ago in His Word. And, uh, and so basically, these new discoveries uh, that they're coming out with are just simply the same principles and ideals that God set down in His Word so long ago, and we are just now putting them into maybe more modern-day language and understanding. Uh, the one cool thing is, is that there are great strides in what we call neuroscience research. Um, and this is the research that involves studying the body itself and understanding things like neuroscience and neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to reform itself into different directions and different ways, uh, which actually plays a very important part in understanding what is transpiring when we become new creatures in Christ. And, uh, and so as we begin to understand some of these concepts that I'm going to present today, then it makes you realize uh, that you are not this really bad person, that you are basically a product of past events and things that have happened in your life, but we don't have to stay there. God has designed us to move forward and to become something better. So we're going to start off with putting off the old Becoming aware of our old patterns, Ephesians 4.22 says, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So we, we talk about repentance. So repentance, when we come to Jesus Christ and we repent of our sins, it's not just about forgiveness. It's about acknowledging our old past behaviors. It's saying... I accept responsibility for that. 
I also acknowledge and understand that I can't get from here to there, and I need the blood of Jesus Christ to do that. All right? So repentance is more than just forgiveness. It's acknowledging our past. All right? And that, that's extremely important in moving forward in the kingdom of God. Uh, so when we talk about uh, that sinful nature, that's probably the easiest part of this whole scripture to understand. Okay? Uh, because we have... Uh, we, th- this varies from person to person, and only you know what it is in your life that you need to throw off. So basically, this sinful nature, uh, our minds immediately turn to this societal concepts of right and wrong that have been highlighted by the ecclesiastical applications of Scripture. I had to throw that in there because it sounds really cool and uh, uses big words. Um, so we talk about things like being drunk and illicit affairs, cheating, lying, stealing, Murdering, uh, that's a good one to include. Um, and so basically we have these checklists that we, we talk about. And so when we deal with these things, the sinful nature, we talk about these sins. And oftentimes what we do is we create this checklist. Yep, not doing that anymore. Yep, not doing that anymore. And we go down this checklist and then we get to the end of the checklist and we go, got it covered. We're good to go. That's what we would refer to as sin management. All right? In other words, I'm managing the sin in my life. But there's more to it than that. It says throw off your former way of life. So from, from this point forward, I need you to understand we're not talking about sin. When we're talking about this, we're not talking about sin. We're talking about those old patterns that were developed before we met Christ. From the very beginning. And sometimes there are patterns that were even formed in Christian homes because we had this, we had this Christian ideal of how things could be, going back to that whole sin management thing, that created issues and patterns in our lives that we need to overcome. So the former way of life is a bit more difficult to define and, uh, and understand because we are products of our past. How many of you can attest to that? All right? We are products of our past. We're products of our heritage, of our home life, of our attachments, of, of our choices, and maybe some of the trauma that we've experienced in life. And you say, well, I've never really been you know, traumatized. There's all kinds of trauma. There's all kinds of ways that we've been hurt or damaged. Then when we talk about our heritage, how many of you ever heard about the ham? So the young lady was preparing Thanksgiving dinner, and, and she, was, she had this huge ham, and she went to just cut off about a third of it, because that's the way she had been taught from her mom. And she was like, wait a minute, there, there's something odd about this. Why am I doing this? So she calls mom. Mom, why am I, why am I cutting this off? Is, you know, I know that's the way you taught me how to do it, but why am I doing this? And she's like, I don't know, that's the way my mom taught me. And so she calls grandma. Grandma, why, why am I cutting this off? She's like, I don't know, that's the way my mom taught me. She calls great-grandma. Great-grandma, what? Why am I cutting this chunk of ham off here when we could have the whole thing for Thanksgiving? And grandma says, well, back in my day, we had very small ovens, and I had this pan that will only fit so big, and so we would just cut the end of the ham off and throw it in there. All right? So here we are, we have this heritage, we have this 
process that has been repeated through generations that simply was accepted until somebody challenged it. And they had a bigger ham that Thanksgiving. So that was a good thing. All right? So this so first Corinthians or Second Corinthians five seventeen says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. So oftentimes it's easier to comprehend the sins that we have done, but what about the hurts and the damage that have been done to us? We often talk about what we do, but what about what's been done to us? Those wrongs have left an imprint in our hearts and our minds. And oftentimes we quote uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. In the King James Version, it reads this way, all things have become new. And so we have this concept when we come to Jesus Christ and we ask for repentance and we give our hearts to Jesus Christ that all things become new. And so then we have this concept that, okay, everything's cool. Everything's done. The old life is gone. I like the way that, that the New Living Translation puts it because it reads, the old life is gone, a new life has begun. In other words, and I talked about in my last sermon about salvation being taught as an end game, when in reality, salvation is a doorway to a new life. It's a demarcation mark. I'm leaving this and going into this. Does that mean everything is done and instantaneous? No. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, so there is that demarcation that we move from what we were to where we're going. So it's kind of like the before and after photos of the weight loss program, right? Anybody been there? Yeah? I, I've never messed with it. I was just like, yep, this is who I am. I, you know? And, and that means I have to give up my blackberry pie cobbler. That's, that's not going to happen. Uh, but we do this before and after uh, to show the effectiveness of the product and but what it doesn't show is the sacrifice, the hard work, the self-discipline, and the length of time it took to reach the after. All right? Uh, so the day they stood up and said, I will no longer remain trapped in this body or in this lifestyle, the weight did not simply disappear. It was a decision to become someone different, someone better, someone healthier. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. So Christ's sacrifice of blood has erased the debt of sin and the death penalty that accompanies it, but it has not erased the memories and the patterns that were established in the past. This is a really important concept to understand. We are forgiven. And like I mentioned at the very beginning, what we're talking about today is not about sin. It's about the patterns that have been established in our lives that we do without thinking. What often makes this harder, this whole thing about our past, is that some of the damaging past was experienced in families and relationships that were Christian by name, but not in nature. So sometimes we tend to assign blame to God. Well, if this is the way you are, God, and God's like, give me a chance. Give me a chance 
We're all broken people. We all have things that we've done in our lives. We can look back at our past generations and we can see some of the harshness and some of the things that were done. And we can now have the opportunity. And that's what this whole message is about today. We now have an opportunity. Because I'm giving you the challenge this morning to examine those past patterns. To become aware of them. We talk about this, all things have become new in Christ. And that the old life is gone. And oftentimes what Christians do is they engage in what we know in counseling as spiritual bypass. In other words, we coerce others and ourselves into ignoring our old patterns and pretending they either don't exist or will somehow just go away. If we just live our new lives with consistency and fervor. And when it rears its head, what do we do? Well, I must be doing something wrong, so therefore I will try harder. So when these old patterns reappear over and over again, we begin to question our forgiveness. We begin to question our commitment and perhaps even the willingness of God to heal us or to intervene on our behalf. We say the old life is gone. Well, if the old life is gone, why am I still struggling with this? Why am I still dealing with this? Why can I not forgive? Uh, why, why am I remembering the pain of past hurts and past encounters? And then we start drawing conclusions. Well, maybe, I, maybe God didn't forgive me. Maybe I didn't do something right. Maybe there's something else I need to be doing. Paul said the same thing in Romans 7.15. He says, I don't really understand myself. Can I get an amen? I don't, why in the world did I just say that? Why did I respond that way? Why did I act that way? I really don't understand myself. For what I want to do, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. So we need to stop and ask ourselves, why am I behaving this way? And I challenge you to do that. When you exhibit some behaviors in your life that you're like, I don't understand why I'm doing this, ask yourself, why am I doing this? And here's the added thing that you need to take with it, is the Holy Spirit will give you illumination as to why you're doing that. Talk to a friend, talk to a pastor, talk to somebody else, because they are mirrors in our life to show back to us how we are behaving. So why do I keep doing these things? All right, so here's the down and dirty on this, all right? I'm going to try and make this. Uh, I, I actually committed uh, five out of eight pages of sermon to just this first point because it's really important, okay? So why do I keep doing these things? So from the moment we come into this world, we are seeking attachment or connection. When that baby comes out of the mom's womb, he goes, whoa. This is different. And he goes, where am I? What in the world is going on? And then that child begins to look for connection. In other words, I need safety. I need security. Where do I find that? And so the first experience of that child is being held to the mother's breast and being held close 
So a traumatic event becomes something new, something safe, something secure. And make no mistake about it, folks, when you come to Jesus Christ and you ask for forgiveness and you repent and you acknowledge your old past, I'm telling you right now, it's just as traumatic as it is that child coming out of the mother's womb. Because now you're faced with a whole new world. You've got to make some choices. You've got to make some decisions. So I like what uh, Dr. Cloud talks about. How many of you know what this is? It's a smartphone, right? Supposedly. But guess what? It's a paperweight. Because without connection, that's all this is. Or could be an iPod. Put your music on. But without connection, this is no longer a smartphone. All right? So Dr. Cloud talks about that whole idea of coming out of the womb and looking for connection. And he said, one of four types of connections are made in our lives. The first one is no connection, where we are emotionally, spiritually, physically, and spiritually disconnected from God and from those around us. We have people present in our lives, and we interact with them, but we do not connect in a way that fills us, mirrors us, or informs our sense of who we are. It can be our past or our present wounds. It can be our pride or defensiveness that leads us to disconnect. So how do we respond when we're disconnected? Well, life begins to lose meaning. We become depressed or anxious. And loneliness becomes the dominant sensation within our lives. I was talking earlier in the, in the morning, the earlier service, about how they're probably going to be doing research on this whole COVID year for the next 15 to 20 years about disconnection and the damage that's done because of it. So that's the first one, no connection. The second one is a bad connection. So this is a connection that oftentimes is abusive in nature, or it can be tolerable enough to where I just have a sense of, okay, I'm connected at least. But the message is always the same. In a bad connection, the message is always, I am never good enough, I am shamed, I am in some way inferior, and always will be. But hey, at least it's a connection. You know, before, I was isolated. I wasn't connected to anybody. At least in this, even though I'm abused, even though I'm made little of, I still have some type of connection. The third one is called a fake good connection. It's a pseudo good connection that is always temporary, and it fades quickly. And so there's a lot of things we can put in this category. We can talk about alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, work, power. It's whatever fits my personality and needs to bring about the sense of feeling wanted, important, good, or at the very least, forget the loneliness and abuse and a sense of being nothing. So we look for that third connection of saying, it's going to be temporary, it's going to be short-lived, but at least I get a momentary reprieve. Oftentimes when we get into 
uh, a bad connection or a fake good connection, and we get to that point and it's kind of like this just isn't working, we oftentimes go back to number one. I can't take this abuse, I can't take this, this status quo being constantly upset and my balance in life is shot. So I'm just going to go back to no connection. I'm going to isolate. There's a fourth option, and that is true connection. This is the concept of what we call distinction and unity being experienced simultaneously. Distinction and unity being experienced simultaneously. Well, how is that possible? How can I remain myself and still be unified with you? How do I do that? That's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to learn. But it is absolutely essential to any healthy relationship. It means this, to be acknowledged and accepted for the uniqueness I bring to the relationship without having to submerge myself in another's identity. This is promoted in the grace relationship found in Christ's sacrifice and was intended from the very start as evidenced in the relationship between Adam and God in the Garden of Eden. God meets us where we are, leads us tenderly and mercifully along the road to improvement, but acknowledges and utilizes our unique talents and abilities. God does not say, okay, all of you are going to be exactly the same. He says, put on the mind of Christ, put on the love of Christ. We take on that attitude, but we don't lose our unique distinction. And God doesn't require that of us. So you get to be you. It's a good thing because Michael's our pastor, and that's, he gets to be him. Yeah, oh, I'm not, Okay. My mind went a different direction for a second there. I'm just going to leave it alone. Okay. So why is this important? Because in life, it is our experiences of attachment and connection that form how we deal with life and how we view ourselves. All right? These patterns are formed very early in life and can be adjusted or enforced by additional experiences as we grew up. We learn in our first year of life if I am safe and secure with my caregiver or do I have to depend on myself and simply use others for what I need to survive. We learn this very early on. It gets embedded in our brains. In response to these life experiences, we develop coping strategies designed to help our body and lives find some sense of equilibrium and these coping mechanisms form our core responses for the rest of our lives. If mom doesn't hug me, if mom or dad doesn't hold me and tell me I am loved, I am safe, I am secure, I will now become dependent on myself. I go to that no connection zone. So how does this, how does this look? Here's some examples. If I feel threatened, I retreat and shut down, or I attempt to placate and please others or to, in order to keep the peace. If I sense I am losing you or being abandoned, I will drive you away with my behaviors in order to prove yet again that I am not worthy 
of being accepted and loved. When I feel belittled or my weaknesses are in danger of being exposed, I will stand tall like the bear or the hissing viper, and I will exhibit strong narcissistic behaviors in order to protect my very vulnerable underbelly. When my shame and guilt of being helpless and victimized are triggered, I will lash out in anger, become verbally abusive, or I will descend into the depths of depression with the belief that I am useless and unlovable. These are all methods and patterns that are embedded in our brain based upon our experiences in life. So in many cases, these coping skills become automatic in nature, embedded deep in our unconscious and form the patterns that repeat themselves over and over again throughout our lives, unless they are identified, acknowledged, and healed. This is a very hard thing to do. And oftentimes, it takes a significant emotional event in our lives to bring us to the point of saying, I have to deal with this. It can be a breakdown, it can be a death, it can be a suicide, it can be a divorce. Whatever it is, oftentimes we face events in our lives that force us to look at our past patterns and those things that are embedded in our subconscious. Professor Van de Kolk is a world leader in human research or I, I'm sorry, a leader in research on human trauma and its effects on the human body in our lives. And he wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And he mentions uh, uh, a statement that one of his professors, a, a professor by the name of Elvin Semrad, and he states this, human beings are ex- experts in wishful thinking and obscuring the truth. And the greatest source of our suffering are the lies we tell ourselves. Jeremiah backs that up when he says in chapter 17, verse 9, he says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So we talked about what we're going to put off. We talked about understanding patterns and identifying those patterns. We don't have to stay there. But let me give you one really crucial key here, is that it's only changes if we address it and expose it. You can continue on cutting the end off the ham, or you can say, let's question this. Let's challenge this. So how do we become aware? How do we put on the new and choose a new path? Ephesians 5.14 says this, For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The old hurts and the patterns of coping that have resulted from those hurts need to be drugged into the light. They need to be examined and accepted for what they are, and then reframed in light of God's truth and love, along with the love of those around us. We need to be known for who we are. We need to be accepted where we are. We need to be forgiven and embraced in relationship, even at our worst, in order for healing to take place. How many of you ever said this 
this to somebody, well, that's just the way I am. Has anybody ever said that? <laughs> Thank you, bud. I appreciate that. <laughs> he's not only raising his hand, he's shaking his head, yes. Uh, we oftentimes are just, we look at those around us that may be challenging our behaviors, and we say, well, that's just the way I am. Hey, that is an awesome start. Because in, in counseling, we look at that, we call that uh, radical acceptance. In other words, I recognize who I am. And that's what we do in repentance. I, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a horrible person. I've done this, and I've done that, and I've said this, and I've, and I've messed this up, and, and I've really messed this one up. This is who I am. And we acknowledge ourselves. And here's the cool thing. God looks at us and he says, I can work with that. I can work with that. Does that mean we get to stay where we're at? No. That's not God's intent. And why? Because we have to, because God wants to make us into something that just satisfies his sense of being powerful and in charge? No. He looks at us and he says, I know what life is, and I want you to experience that. I want you to taste that, to see that. So let's put this on. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26 says, Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Now, somebody may argue, well, this is Paul talking about God's word and, and those of, who are sinners and so on and so forth, but I see an application of learning the truth about ourselves from this scripture. We don't want pain. In fact, oftentimes we do everything within our capability to avoid it. And so you come along and you say, hey, there's some old patterns in your life. There's some old hurts that you need to open up and examine. There's some old things that you need to address. And it's like, why? Why would I expose myself to that kind of pain? We Go back to the scripture, Ephesians, for the light makes everything visible. Rise up, awake, O sleeper, and Christ will give you light. We need to drag those things into the light. 2 Timothy is talking about that exact same thing. How often do we oppose the truth about ourselves? How often do we hide those things and say, I don't want to deal with that. Perhaps God will change those people's heart and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses. And it's not just about coming to your senses, but it's the last part of the verse that is the most important. And they will escape from the devil's trap. I can tell you right now, 
that those old patterns that have become automatic in your responses to others, maybe driving others away, maybe being critical, maybe being critical towards yourself, those things that you tell yourself over and over again, I'm useless, I'm no good, I'll never make it. And Satan is like, you just keep thinking that. Don't address that. Don't deal with that. Don't drag that into the light because that is my hold over you. That is the trap that I have kept you in for all of these years until today. Today, I'm challenging you to take a look at those old patterns and those old behaviors and say, Satan, I will no longer allow you to have control over me. I will expose those things. I will lay them at the foot of Christ and I will begin to work on those. Is that hard? Yes, it is. Is that painful? Yes, it is. I'm not going to lie to you. All right? Oftentimes in counseling, we have what we call informed consent. All right? In other words, I'm going to tell you all the dirty parts of it and how much it's going to hurt and, and what it's going to cost you. And then when you make your decision, you can't come back and say, well, you never told me about this. And sometimes I wonder in Christianity if we don't do that with new believers. We don't tell them the honest truth. We don't expose those things that this is going to be hard. But the reward is overwhelming. Man, I like this. I'm, see, I'm, that's the teacher in me. I like good responses. I just, you know... Through a gentle, humble, loving, and accepting approach, the truth can become known. And we can escape the horrible pit and trap that the devil has kept us imprisoned for so long. And he would like nothing better than to see you stay right there. Again, this is not a sin issue, folks. We're not talking about something that you've done wrong. We're talking about the old patterns that have been built in your life. And... It's a rather, it's a matter of living the life of peace and relational connection that God wants for us. If you take nothing else away from today, I want you to remember these words. Becoming aware of our old patterns provides us with the new ability to choose how we respond rather than passively allowing our old coping strategies to dictate our connections and relationships. You remember the servants and the talents? The servant that got one talent? He took his talent and he hid it in the ground. That thing that challenged him, that thing that he was given to take care of, and he says, I'm afraid of how this is going to turn out. I don't want to deal with this. And so what did he do? He went and buried it. You see, here's the key to that whole thing. When that servant buried that one talent... He gave up all other options. He gave up all other choices in relationship to that talent. And so when we bury those old patterns, we say, no, I don't want to deal with those. I don't want to take those on. We give up all of our other options. We no longer have a choice. Research has shown 
that it is the mind-heart that tells the brain how to structure and develop. Right? It's not the brain that is made from birth that tells us how to live life. Sorry, if you believed that and that was your default, well, that's just the way I am. That's the way I was made. I'm telling you right now that you're in error. And you say, well, that's pretty arrogant. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard the heart, for from it come the issues of life. It is your mind-heart that is the seat of decision-making. Unfortunately, when we experience rejections, broken relationships, and emotional damage through life, and we do not choose to respond in a healthy way, or perhaps we don't even have the skills or abilities to address those things in a healthy way, then here's what happens, is the brain develops its own response in order to increase the survivability of the person. I need to survive. The brain goes, I need to keep this body alive. All right? In the absence of the mind's input, our mind-heart input, in the absence of that, the brain-body system will efficiently sort life's experiences into three categories. You want to know what they are? Good, bad, doesn't matter. This is beneficial to me, so I'm going to keep on repeating that. This is dangerous, and I need to avoid that at all costs. And what oftentimes the beneficial develops in relationship to the harmful. In other words, I'm going to avoid this, so therefore I'm going to build some coping strategies so I don't have to deal with this. And those patterns get embedded in our brains. They literally form neural netways that say, this is how to think. This is how to respond without thinking. So long before our conscious mind is aware of a perceived threat, the brain has already engaged the body's sympathetic nervous system and the endocrine systems to respond quickly and thoughtlessly. So that's a good thing. You know, if, if the angry dog is charging at you, your brain says, hmm, Let's think about this. Let's see, what are my options? Well, I could jump over the fence, or I could punch him in the nose, or I can just stand here and let him bite me. Now, your body's going, whoa, dude, we ain't got time to think about this. All right? In fact, when we reach that status, we, we do a thing what we call flipping our lids. Okay? So in the inner part of our brain, we have what we call the... The, um, the amygdala, and that governs all of our emotions, and it, and, and it triggers that fight-or-flight thing, okay? And then overlying that is what we call the prefrontal cortex. That's where we think, and we consider things, and we process information. Well, when the amygdala gets triggered, and we hit that fight-or-flight thing, guess what the brain does? The brain says, we don't need the prefrontal cortex anymore, so it cuts off the blood flow to the prefrontal cortex, or it reduces it drastically. And literally, the prefrontal cortex, or your ability to think and consider and process, goes offline. And it's called flipping your lid. And then the amygdala takes over. I'm, bet, I'm betting that some of you, in the middle of your arguments, have flipped your lid. No, that's the point. We don't think. 
So we can either passively accept these autonomic reactions embedded in our brain's responses, or we can embrace Proverbs 423 in the neuroscience research that tells us that our life issues proceed from our heart-mind, which is our seat of decision-making, and it is and that it is our heart that determines the course of our life and has the ability to override the brain. So when we hit that point, when we're, we're engaging in those old patterns of argument, those old patterns of belittling, those old patterns of, of being critical of somebody else, we can say, whoa, the heart-mind that has been changed by Christ can say, stop, and consider. And the brain goes, wait a minute, I want to react. And the heart says, no, we're going to choose a different route. So it's interesting that neuroplasticity actually proves that this is a physical change that takes place in our brains. It literally remaps our brains and develops new ways of thinking, that, and it doesn't come easy. Romans 12 Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, what is good and pleasing and perfect. And Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Hmm. Romans is basically telling us that this thinking thing is a process. It's a progressive transformation that involves learning a new way while rejecting the old behaviors and customs of this world. Getting past old patterns of passivity and meanness, not meanness, meanness, will always present resistance to change. But learning how love works brings awareness of what needs to change. This then becomes the putting on of love. So we've thrown off, we've made that effort to throw off, and now we need to make the effort to put on. And it's not always easy. It's a challenge. So the putting on of Christ is a decision that must be followed up with a commitment to stay the course and face the pain of change. Remember the before and after photos? The after doesn't come easy. It takes time. It takes effort. It's a challenge. And it involves pain. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It's interesting because research has shown that new neural net paths in the brain do not develop outside of challenges or failure. That's the only time that new neural netways are actually mapped. It's actually happening right now because I'm challenging you. I'm challenging your old way of thinking. I'm challenging you to take on a new way of thinking. Be willing to pull those old patterns out, examine them, admit them, this is who I am, 
And God says, I can work with that. Let's talk about improving that. <laughs> Philippians 2.12. And again, I want to reiterate, this is not about salvation, folks. This is not about sin. God says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. That decision that you made, and you walk through that door of salvation, now is the challenge to sustain it. We have a reason to live, to shout, to take joy in life, because our sin debt has been paid so now we get the opportunity to start addressing some of these other things without that sin debt hanging over our heads. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice. All you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And here's the payoff. Then the God of peace will be with you. Wouldn't it be nice to have some peace from that critical mind that keeps telling us we're not good enough? Wouldn't it be nice to have some peace in those relationships where I can just enjoy being with someone instead of having this strife going on? Second Timothy tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Here's the cool thing to take away from Philippians 2. For God is in you given you the desire and the power. Given you the desire and the power to make those changes and to do what pleases Him. We can be free of the devil's trap. We can escape the influence of our past and begin to live life to the fullness that God really intended us to live. Ridding ourselves of the old patterns that dictated our behaviors and inhibited our choices allows us to embark on a new adventure of choosing our path forward and no longer being a slave to our pain and our hurt. We choose to do what pleases God and to honor Him. And all that we do, rather than remain a passive player in the grip of our past patterns and behaviors. And I'll close with the words of Lauren Daigle's song. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Lord, remind me once again just who I am, because I need to know. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you, I find my worth. In you, I find my identity. You say I am loved when I don't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. 
You say, I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, you say, I am yours. And I believe, oh, I believe what you say of me, I choose to believe. Heavenly Father, I know that in every life, in every heart, there is some damage and some patterns of old ways of thinking and processing. Lord, I pray that through today's message that you will help us to face those things, to be willing to face that pain and to begin that process. Not because it makes us something great or something wonderful, but because it invites us into the life that you desire for us. To bring us to peace and the knowledge that we are accepted. We are right in your presence. So Lord, I pray that we will be able to do this as we go forward. Lord, not only to ourselves, but to those around us. And Lord, that through this process, that your name will be glorified, that peace will be brought, and that the life that you've designed us to live will be actually lived. We thank you for the power and the will to do these things that you have given to us. We glorify you, we honor you, we acknowledge you as Lord and King. In Jesus' name we pray.